Father, we come to you tonight and Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity that we've had to join our voices together this evening and praise to you, Lord, through music and Father, it's always a special thing to be able to gather together with other believers, Lord, to worship, and so we thank you for that. Lord, we do come this evening with, with many requests, Father, many that are, are sick and hurting, Lord, we um, think of Faye, and uh, Lord, we just pray that you would ease her pain and um, and Father you would encourage her by your spirit uh, Father we do pray for for Paul and as he's got his broken collarbone pray that you would heal him um, Father we pray for um, those who are in the hospital Dave Thomas and Father we pray for Peggy's co-workers as they're battling COVID and, and the families that are battling COVID and um, Father we just pray that you would heal their bodies Lord we do pray for uh, Bob Greasy as we've heard tonight about the move to um, Runkin Pratt Father we pray that uh, you would be with him in that situation Lord and you would work in that Father we do pray for for James this evening as he's going to the doctor. We pray, Lord, that they could uh, diagnose and figure out what is going on there and and, uh, and help him, uh, Lord, with these spells of dizziness. So, um, Father, we lift all of these up tonight to you, Lord. We ask that you would have your way, Father, in, in those. And Father, we pray tonight as we go to look at your word that, Father, you would teach us this evening, that you would, Father, change our minds and also to transform our hearts, Lord, to lead us to obedience and to worship and to be more like Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So this evening, you can we can start by opening to uh, John chapter 1. Let's start in John 1 this evening. Last time we looked at the idea of the Trinity and triune God and one substance in three persons. And so um, tonight we continue in this study and we're going to be looking at the deity, the divinity of the Son and the Spirit. Um, mostly, we'll spend most of our time with the Son and then we'll talk about the, the Spirit at the end. And, um, you know, we, we look at this and we might think, well, what about deity of the Father? And um, as Paul Washer writes, he, he makes the point 
that really the deity of the Father is something that's not really questioned very much. Most people who are coming to Scripture and, and really understand the Father is God. However, when you get to the Son um, and the Spirit, there, there can be some questions. There can be some objections, and, and there can be confusion um, in these areas. And so we'll talk uh, about that some this evening. And as we go to see what the Bible has to say about the deity or divinity of the Son, one of the, the top places that we could go look is in John chapter 1. And in John 1, in verse 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now John here using the word, word, um, in this context seems a little strange to us. However, we, we know here that John is thinking of, he's referring back to the Old Testament. Um, as a matter of fact, when we read those first three words there of John 1 verse 1, it, it takes our minds back to Genesis 1, 1. Because it begins the same way. We think of the narrative of creation. And in this narrative of creation, we see that God indeed created by His Word. For example, in verse 3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. So God speaking, God using His Word to bring forth creation. Also, in the book of Psalms, in chapter 33, verse 6, we read, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. So this is very much an, an Old Testament idea here that John is presenting. We see um, in, John word, in John 1 also that the word is a person. And in verse 14 of John 1, the identity of that person is shown to be the Son. God the Son. Um, John 1, 1 then in the next phrase states, And the Word was with God. The Word was with God. So we see here that, that there's some distinction between the Word and God as it's listed here. And, and we find two truths that we want to, to know and to remember. First of all, the Son is a person distinct from the Father, kind of like we talked about last week. That there is unity in the persons of the Trinity, and yet there's also a distinction. We also learned that the Son existed in perfect fellowship with the Father before anything was made. Word was with God. And then the very next phrase says, and the Word was God. Again, this expression of the, of the triune nature of God is, is one God in three persons. And when we look at this, we see that it's such a clear statement here as to the divinity of the Son. However, there are some who would um, dispute this. And one of the main groups that, it, that will object to this um, and actually will argue 
on the grounds of this verse are Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, they will come to the verse and they will teach that this verse should be read as the word was a God with a little g instead of the word was God with a capital G. And they, they do this and they try to say that in the Greek New Testament, when the word theos is used for God, meaning God, meaning the true God with a capital G, the definite article comes before it. And here in John 1, there's no definite article in the Greek text. So, so they would say if, the, if this phrase was talking about one true God, then the, the Greek text here should literally translate to the word was the God. And it doesn't. And so therefore they say and argue that when the definite article is not used, that the indefinite article, so a or an, should be supplied when translating into English. And so then their translation of this phrase is the word was a God with a little g. And so that's kind of the grammatical way they try to, to argue through this. Um, so we go and see the, actually the, the website for the North American Mission Board says it this way. The Watchtower Society asserts that since the Greek language has no indefinite articles, the article can be used when, where needed in translating. Just, thus they insert A before God to emphasize the words inferiority to God. This biased rendering cannot be justified grammatically and has been rejected by every reputable Greek scholar. And so by translating it this way, um, they develop a, a certain doctrine. And it looks like this. It's a, this means, this is from their literature, um, Watchtower. This means that the sun was created before all other spirit sons of God. And that he is the only one who was directly created by God. And that he is only he is God's only begotten son in that he is the only one directly created by Jehovah God. All other things came into existence through him as God's chief agent of creation. However, the son's share in the creative work did not make him a co-creator with the father. Rather than a co-creator, then the son was the agent or instrumentality through whom Jehovah the creator worked. And therefore, they come to the conclusion, this is from their website, it says, so we do not worship Jesus as we do not believe that he is almighty God. So, what is there to be said to this? Uh, first of all, it is true that many times in the New Testament, the definite article is used before the word God. However, it's not a necessary thing. We know that from this very context. You know, verses 6, 12, 13, 18. They all show this. They don't contain the definite article, but in those verses, they're clearly referring to the one true God. Secondly, um, to accept their translation would be to accept the notion that there is another God 
besides the one true God. And that is inconsistent with the rest of Scripture as we looked at last time. Um, one example of this from the Old Testament is in Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last besides me. There is no God. So then, in order to be, uh, their translation does not work if they're going to be consistent with the rest of Scripture. So unlike the Jehovah's Witnesses, as we've looked at tonight, we do believe that the Son is God, and therefore we do worship Him. Um, along with uh, verse 1 of chapter 1, we can also look at verse 18 and discuss that. So, we read, first of all, in this verse, that no one has ever seen God. No one's ever seen God. We see that Paul writes this same thing in 1 Timothy. In chapter 6, it says, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. No one has seen God. And then the next phrase in verse 18 um, says the only God, or some versions say the only Son, depending on which copies of the manuscripts that they're translating from. Um, and the word used in this verse for only is an, an important one. Um, monogenes, it comes from two words. Monos, meaning one or only, and the word genos, meaning kind. So therefore, we could translate this word into English as one of a kind, or one and only, or as some translations say, only begotten. Um, so there's nothing else like this one of a kind thing. It is completely unique. One of a kind God, one of a kind Son. And verse 18 goes on to say that this one of a kind God is at the Father's side. And again, this is just an, an articulation as to the, the different persons within the Godhead. And it's this, this beautiful picture that we have here of this intimate uh, relationship and fellowship between the Father and the Son. And this verse finishes um, by saying that this one-of-a-kind God, one-of-a-kind Son has made the Father who cannot be seen, He has made Him known. The Son makes Him known to us. And so we learn here that only in the Son does the fullness of God dwell. It's from Colossians. Also, the Son alone is the image of the invisible God. And third, the Son alone is able to communicate God to mankind. So very important verses there in John 1 um, as to the fact that the Son is indeed God. Um, we also see evidence here. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. There in verse 6, Paul writes to 
though the Son was in the form of God, or to use language from last week, we could say, though the Son consists of the same substance as the Father, He's the same Godness, um, the Son did not count equality with God in, in terms of function, a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So, in the form, having the same substance, being made of the same thing as God. Also, Colossians chapter 1, we've looked at um, uh, this concept a little bit earlier. And verse 15 reads, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's the image of God. And, and also, don't let here the word firstborn kind of throw you too much. Um, you know, some, we might be, be tempted to look at this and say, well, if he's firstborn of all creation, then he must have been created. Um, and we automatically think in our minds of firstborn in terms of chronological birth order. So, for example, you know, the firstborn son or the eldest Son. Um, however, this word is also used in the Bible to talk about status or rank or importance. Uh, Psalm 89 is a good example of this. Um, in Psalm 89, the, the Lord is talking about King David. And it says, And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So it's not about birth order here. It, it's about rank. It's about importance. It's about prominence. The firstborn king here means the, the king of the highest rank, the highest status. Above all the other kings of the earth. And that's the same kind of meaning we find here in Colossians 1. He is head over and above all and has authority over all creation. A few verses later in Colossians 1 verse 19, for in him the, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The fullness of deity, all the, the godness of God was in Christ Jesus. He is fully God. And so that's just um, going through a few verses here in the New Testament to talk about how the Son is God. A, a couple more here. You might remember at the end of the book of John, and when Jesus has risen and the, the disciple Thomas doesn't believe, and he, he says, unless I put my finger in the marks in his hand and my hand in his side that was pierced, I will never believe. And Jesus appeared to him, and, and Jesus told him to do these things. And when he did, Thomas responds, and um, Thomas proclaims here, Answered him and said, My Lord and my God. That's what Thomas responds to Jesus. And we see here Jesus does not rebuke Thomas. He does not correct him in any way, but rather accepts the worship of his disciple because he is indeed God. One more verse in Romans here in chapter 9 where Paul writes, to them belong the patriarchs, talking about the, the Jewish people, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, 
blessed forever. Amen. So we believe and we worship the Son as God. Some, some verses there to, to support that. And then quickly we'll talk about the Holy Spirit as God. So Acts chapter 5. This is at the very beginning of the church being established. And there were those who were selling their homes. They were selling their lands. And they were bringing it and giving it to the church um, for, for those who were a part of the church and had needs um, to be met. And so that's what was going on. And, and a husband and wife named Ananias and Sapphira sold their land and they brought it. But instead of bringing all the money and giving it to the church, they kept back some for themselves. And so when Ananias came and brought the money uh, to the disciples, Peter looked at him and said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So in these verses, we see that the, the Holy Spirit and God are used interchangeably. Because the Holy Spirit, in fact, is God. And then I'd like to close tonight with one last verse where we see this incredible union of, of the Trinity um, as it relates to the indwelling of the Spirit of God in the believer. And Romans 8, verse 9. It says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So in this we see three truths. First of all, the Holy Spirit is a real person, and He is distinct from the Father and the Son. Second, God the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. And third, God the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. So all of these incredible truths of our faith that we see, um, and as we said, we cannot explain all of these things. But we can and we must believe and trust them because they're what the Bible teaches. So next time we come together, we'll look at the fact that God is spirit. So let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for these truths. We thank you for um, those who have gone before us and have done really hard work in, in theology. Lord, in, in doctrine and in working these things out in ways that we can, can understand and articulate them. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth in it. Lord, and we pray that you would um, Lord, bring us into obedience with it. So, Father, be with us as we go this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.